Arthur Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm honored that you're here. I'm going to play for you the interview that I did with Harry Connick Sr. That name might sound familiar. Yes, Harry Connick Sr. is the father of the famed recording artist Harry Connick Jr. Well, Harry Connick Sr. is also a singer. He's made a couple of albums. He's performed. He specializes in the Great American Songbook. I got to know his recordings, and I wrote him a letter, and he invited me to do this interview with him that you're about to hear. I recorded this interview with him in his home in New Orleans. I remember knocking on the door. He was very cordial. He said, Paul, my man, come on in. Soon we were comfortable. I felt very at home talking to him. I really enjoyed getting a chance to speak with him. I really miss doing interviews face-to-face. I just haven't had a chance to since all the events of 2020. And I long for the day when I can sit down and right across from me is the person I'm talking to. I think you'll sense something special about this. The, the fact that this interview was done in someone's home and done in such an intimate way. Enjoy getting to know Harry Connick Sr. in this interview. It was originally broadcast over the radio. And I have a lot of these tapes, a lot of these recordings of interviews that were on the radio. And some of them are not accessible online. So that's the project. I'm constantly going back into the archives and getting things out there so people can listen on these different outlets like Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I want these interviews to be available. You can support that mission. Just go to thepaulleslie.com, click on support the show, and I must thank everyone who has been so generous and contributed to this mission of getting these interviews out there. And now I'm going to take you to that day when I was sitting face-to-face with Harry Connick Sr., Now we're going to take you down to New Orleans, Louisiana, the home of our special guest, Harry Connick Sr. We hope you enjoy the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor to welcome our very special guest, the one and only Mr. Harry Connick Sr. Thank you so much for inviting me into your home and letting me do this interview with you. You're very welcome. Who is Harry Connick Sr.? Well, I was a... By professional lawyer, I was the the district attorney in the city of New Orleans for 29 29 years. And I had been a legal aid attorney before that, and before that an assistant United States attorney. But somewhere along the line, that that ever-present desire to sing cropped out from time to time, but nothing professionally. Uh, While I'm a lawyer and, and, and I practice law and I was a federal, I mean, a federal and a state prosecutor, uh, I still love to listen to music and to sing. So I guess I'm like many, many other people. I have various interests and different interests, but two of them are, are law and politics and, and, and music, popular music. Where were you born? I was born in Mobile, Alabama, March the 27th, 1926. My mother and dad were from Mobile, my grandparents were from Mobile, except before that we had some people from Ireland, were our ancestors. 
But when I was two years old, my dad, who was working at that time for the United States Corps of Engineers, was transferred from from Mobile to New Orleans. He brought my mother and my older brother and my younger brother and myself over. So we've lived in New Orleans since 1928. Can you remember some of the early records that you listened to that you especially liked? Glenn Miller, I guess. But, you know, before that even, we, I used to hear things on the radio and uh, Ben Crosby and, and uh, Rudy Valley. And some people, I don't, I don't even remember who they were specifically, but uh, Russ Morgan, uh, his band, and uh, Guy Lombardo used to play on uh, New Year's Eve from uh, the Astoria Hotel, the ballroom in the Astoria Hotel in New York City. What I really remember vividly, I guess, was Glenn Miller, some of his his music and uh, Moonlight Cocktail and In the Mood and things like that. And, uh, and of course, Benny Goodman, I guess, uh, the Dorsey Brothers, and things that they did, Pine Top, Boogie Woogie, and things like that. And then the Warriors came, and I, I remember that Harry James became very prominent, and he had some good singers with him, Dick Hames was one of the singers, and Frank Sinatra for a short while even. And Helen Forrest was his vocalist, and you had uh, Ray Eberly uh, with the uh, Jimmy Dorsey band, and Helen O'Connell sang with him. They did a lot of duets. Then Glenn Miller, they had the different bands, had their singing groups, the Pied Pipers and the Modern Airs. I didn't know it at the time, but the songs that, that appealed to me, uh, I guess, uh, were also written for the war effort that was going on at that time were written by uh, Sammy Kahn. The lyrics were written by Sammy Kahn. I mean, they still still play them and people still record them. But the war years, too, you have to remember that they were writing music for the war, for the people at home and actually in combat and overseas. Songs like Praise the Lord and Pass the Ammunition <laughs> and Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree with Anyone Else But Me. Kiss Me Once and Kiss Me Twice and Kiss Me Once Again. It's been a long, long time. And things like that. I remember those. And then I remember particularly a song. I was living in Atlanta at the time because my father had been transferred there during World War II. He was stationed in Atlanta before they sent him overseas. Louis uh, Jordan and his Timpany Five had a song called Ration Blues. And rationing in World War II was <laughs> what affected everybody. I'm not kidding you. Gasoline and automobile tires and meat, steak and beef steak, butter and all of the automobiles, you couldn't get them anymore. And anything made with rubber or metal was, was rationed. And out of that came a song by Louis Jordan and his Timpany Five called uh, Ration Blues. I used to sing it when I would do some of my shows, but it goes, baby, baby, baby. What's wrong with Uncle Sam? He's cut down on my sugar. Now he's messing with my ham. I've got the ration blues. I'm blue as I can be. And things like that. And then you had uh, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. The Andrews Sisters did that. So that was very much ingrained in me when I was a kid. But Because the only thing, uh, we never saw those people. And we only heard them. And the big medium, of course, was radio. I would glue my ear to my, I had a radio in my room when I was in high school. And when I was younger, I used to get home in time, listen a little off of Annie and some of these 
serials that used to run on a daily basis. But after a while, I got a little bit older and I started to get home to listen to the Chesterfield show. I think Harry James was on that and Benny Goodman had a show. And the different big bands were very much in demand for radio time. Records were still 78 RPMs. And in fact, I, I, I used to buy them. I had no phonograph, but I would buy, I would buy them and I would buy the, uh, the books that they used to sell. They used to sell a songbook, they called them, and they would have the, all of the so- popular songs of the day in it. And, uh, and I'd buy those and I'd listen and look up the song when I would hear it on the radio. So I had a great, great love and fascination for big bands and for singers and such as that. I liked other music too, but then coming from New Orleans, I think I heard blues all of my life. Uh, we lived in a, an integrated neighborhood. I lived on Plum Street. The street behind us was Oak Street and part of that was not part of a lot of it was occupied by black folks. We would hear their music, especially on Saturday night. There was no air conditioning in those days. This is the 30s. Whatever they played, they played loud. And it, it would drip through the neighborhood and you could hear it, you know. So I, I was exposed to some varying, uh, various kinds of music. You have two recordings uh, available. And you say a lot of the Tin Pan Alley kind of songs. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, of all the songs that have been written, those are my personal favorite. I like them too. I, I love those kinds of songs. And so I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite songwriter? Not really. You know, again, growing up in New Orleans, you're exposed to uh, this music. There's a certain sound to most of that music. They're called a street beat. When I, when I started to work about 1990, I think I was 65 then. It's a hell of a time to get started in a, in a singing career, but it came about quite by accident. And if you're interested, I'll tell you, but I was working in clubs in New Orleans at a place called uh, Maxwell's Toulouse Cabaret. I worked there for five years. Also worked at uh, Roland von Ternikowski, uh, who is a, Big fan of Tipitina's. He owns Tipitina's now, as a matter of fact. Uh, he had a club on Decatur Street, and I sang there for five years, a couple of nights a week, three shows a night. So a lot of people come, tourists come to town, and w- most of the songs that people play uh, are used to anyway, were, were New Orleans songs, and, or in a New, New Orleans style. I, I was attracted to that, and it was something that I think had great appeal, but I still liked the uh, the standards, so I don't know of any particular artist com- composer. Let's say I know that I liked uh, I like that music. This is very hard for a lot of people to answer, but could you name a favorite song? Well, I tell you, I think it's impossible. <laughs> I've tried to do that, and if I'm listening, if I'm listening to Frank Sinatra sing something. Whatever it may have been, you know, that would be my favorite song at that time. And if I played Dick Hames' record, Momzell or something like that, 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 that would be my favorite song. And But, you know, it, it's so hard to distinguish degree of, I guess, acceptance to music. It's so, it's so individual, but I'm fickle as hell when it comes to, it comes to t- saying which is my most favorite songs. Maybe a song will be my favorite song for some while, but 
time will pass and it'll be another one. I don't even remember which. I, like, I do like Moonlight Serenade if it's the, the vocal version of that. Sinatra sang that. Sinatra did so many incredible songs. So did Hames and so did Crosby and so did uh, Randy Russell from those days and those fellas. So it's hard to say. This is Harry Connick Sr. and you're listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. I wanted to ask you about this record store that you owned. Uh-huh. Or actually there were two. At, at one time. That's right. We, we, when, uh, I had worked in, in, uh, Casablanca in Morocco. I had gone over there as a civilian after I, I did my tour of duty in the, in the service during World War II when I was over there and I came home. I got married in Tangier and married to my, the, the mother of my two dear children. And we came home and I was in bed and I was, I was laid up. It was a pro, I had tuberculosis. And it was a prolonged period of, of bed rest, very strict bed rest, in addition to the medication. And my wife, Anita, wasn't from here. And so we came back. We were uprooted very summarily in Casablanca or Nuasur, actually, where I was working. We were brought back home after a long, circuitous route, finally ended up back in New Orleans. And she wanted to work, and she went out to find a job, and it was very difficult for her to uh, get work because at that time, also to today, in a, in a certain extent, New Orleans is extremely provincial. And if you don't know somebody, it's, it's less of that today. Mm-hmm. So don't anyone who hears me not come to New Orleans for a job. But uh, she couldn't get a job. And so, so she she came to the hospital one day and said, you know, I think I'm going to open up a record shop with greeting cards and little electronic equipment. They're like recorders and things such as that. So I said, okay. So she did. She did it on her own. God bless her. I came home shortly after she opened. And after I was able to recover, I went down and worked with her. But that's how that came about. And then after a couple of years, I mean, uh, we, it was a small business, but it was a very successful business. And uh, it, it helped me get through law school and helped uh, Anita get through undergraduate and law school, too. We, uh, After a couple of years, though, we opened up an, a second uh, a business, a branch of it. And all we did was lease space in another building. We had two businesses, and one day we sitting down at supper, and I think we both came to the realization that this is really not what we wanted to do uh, with our lives, and we wanted to be able to give something and do more and accomplish more. So uh, I, 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 I told her that I'd like to go to law school. I'd go to undergraduate school and get my degree. I wasn't thinking too much of law school at that time because law school came about while I was in my finishing up my undergraduate work at Loyola. And uh, anyway, she had gone to Monmouth College in New Jersey. And we both decided to go back to school. So we split shifts. I would work in the afternoons and she would work in the morning. My classes were scheduled from eight o'clock in the morning until noontime. And her classes, she she arranged to have them in the afternoon until five or six o'clock, whatever. So I'd go to school early in the morning and she'd go to work and I'd walk in at 1230. I pick up special orders incidentally on the way home for kids who would come in and want a record today and we didn't have it. They would have it tomorrow. 
Uh, and uh, so we had a great special order department. And uh, so I'd walk in and, and take over, and she would walk out, you know, and we'd meet that night at home. And we went through that for about four years. Uh, but it was it was worth it. So it was a good business and a successful business, but one that was very limiting from a uh, challenging point of view, you know? Yeah, you, you wanted to do something that would be more meaningful to you. Yeah, I, I think that we felt we had something to give. She was my, my wife, Adita, was a very bright lady, smart, as I said, and uh, she was very good with people. She was very helpful to people. She helped people. There would people would come into Studio A, our record shop, and and uh, they were outright mean sometimes. Some mm-hmm. of them. And I used to tell them, I said, "Here comes your 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 grouch. You take care of this one, you know." <laughs> So she would, she'd laugh and she'd go out. After a while, that guy became a regular customer and a, he said, but I'd like to, for your wife to wait on me. <laughs> I said, okay. And, uh, we made some good friends that way. Friends that, that, that people that after we closed the record shop were still friends. People lived in a great neighborhood and, uh, there were a lot of young kids and a lot of family people. So this was in one of the shops were in Lakeview. But anyway, she was good about that, you know. Did I answer your question? Did you ask me a question? Did I answer oh, your question? Yeah, you, sh- you sure did. You sure did. You mentioned a second ago. You said your two lovely children. One of the recordings that you made is a duet, and it's the song "Rocky Mountain Moon," and it's a duet with Mr. Harry Connick Jr. Was there ever a time when you thought, you know what, Harry Connick Jr. is going to be a musician? Oh, immediately. Immediately. Uh, not, not when it came out of the womb, but shortly thereafter. <laughs> and what demonstrated that to us was his incredible time. My wife, his mother, noticed it when he was in a high chair. He couldn't have been two years old. We brought records home from the Studio A record shop, and we'd play them. So we had a lot of music on, and he would sit there sometimes and start, to, if he had a, a spoon or something in his hand, and he'd he start hitting on the tray that was on his his, be, his high chair. And Anita one time said, oh, listen to that. I said, yeah, it's very noisy. <laughs> you know? and, and she said, no, no, listen to it. We, we looked at each other and she said, his timing is impeccable. His mother, she came from a family of musicians. Her brother was a very good, a very accomplished musician. So he, he, he would come in and stand out on a foot of our bed sometimes. And when he was maybe four, and I had a mandolin that, that Anita had given to me when I was in the hospital in Dybert Memorial Hospital down here in New Orleans. It was called the Nick Maniloff method of playing the mandolin. And I tried and tried and tried, and I could play a few things. But anyway, I brought it home with me. And uh, he would get that, though. He wanted, to, he wanted that, you know. So I, I let him have it. And uh, we would be in bed. And he would come in, I remember him vividly sometimes, and what he was wearing. He would come in and stand at the foot of the bed and start singing whatever, raindrops or whatever. And he would strum, and, and he would, it was the same thing. It was no, no playing. He just strummed. And he said, listen, Mom, listen, Papa. And so we would listen, and he would be finished, and we would go, try to go back to sleep. He said, we said, that was good. He said, 
You want to hear another one? <laughs> so we did that. We knew very early on when he, we would go to different places where they had pianos, he'd sit down. And so finally, a, fellow, a good friend of mine, my campaign manager named Dan Kelly, my wife had done a lot of legal work for him. He wanted to show the gratitude by giving us a piano, a piano for Harry, really. And he sat down there and he would play and play. And he would pick out the songs. I think When the Saints Go Marching In was the first song he really played. And he was then he developed like that. But that was when he was six and seven years old. This is an interesting question, I think, because everyone that answers it seems to give a different answer. What is it you like about music? Oh, I like the music that I like. I like the uh, structure of it. I like the uh, the lyrics to it. Uh, the li- lyrics to me, Cole Porter and Johnny Mercer. You were mentioning uh, Rocky Mountain Moon. That's a Johnny Mercer song. Not one of his best songs, but uh, nevertheless a good one. And typical of Mercer, I think. But uh, those, those songwriters uh, had an incredible ability to compose songs that had true, wonderful meaning, and they conveyed a, a particular thought. So that's what I was attracted to. And then the arrangements, I guess, is what, what you know, what impressed the hell out of me, uh, you know, with uh, the Fletcher Henderson and some of those people who arranged for these uh, big bands were just incredible. And then when, when uh, somebody like, like Nelson Riddle comes along and, and some of the things that, that he did, absolutely incredible. It's so, it's so it draws you. It's so listenable, and I like that. And uh, that's what that's what does. But that doesn't mean I don't like other kinds of music, or that the lyrics are not good. It just means that they're not very deep a lot of times. There's not a, not a not a lot of meaning to some of these things. They're too repetitious, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, but if you listen closely to, um, to 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 the lyrics of uh, the songwriters Harry Warren. And uh, uh, you know Hammerstein and those, those, whatever those people and, and and believe it or not, I think Sammy Kahn, who wrote very popular pop music, also wrote some 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 wonderful songs. You know that very serious. So, uh, but that that's what I think the combination of, of lyrics and 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 the music, the, the the arrangement plus the melodic aspect of the song. It was just my final question for Mr. Harry Connick Sr. Thanks to the technology, this broadcast is going out all over the world. What would you like to say to all the folks who are listening in? Well, listen to the old folks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> listen, you know, get the they're still available. They're on, on the internet now, but you know, the Harry James and uh, and the good jazz music we have too. And but above all and more than anything else, and I'm being very serious, listen to Harry Connick Jr. (laughs) And Sr. (laughs) Thank you very much. My pleasure. Goodbye.